Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic overseeing our toxic phase one and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Yas Mellenhorst, Director of the Cell Therapy and Immunoengineering Program and Vice Chair of the Center for Immunotherapy and Precision Immuno-Oncology. He's here today to talk to us about the future of CAR-T therapy. So, welcome, Yas. Happy to have you here. Thanks so much, Dill, and appreciate being invited to this podcast. I'm a great fan of the show, as you know, and um, this is absolutely a great way to get connected with folks at Cleveland Clinic. Absolutely. So, Maybe to start out, tell us a little bit about what you do here. I, I was recruited to Cleveland Clinic uh, and started in, in March, coming from the University of Pennsylvania, where I worked at the uh, uh, mechanistic translational aspect of chimeric antigen receptor T cell therapies for cancer. Uh, working with Carl June, we rolled out uh, the first FDA-approved uh, CAR T cell therapy for B cell malignancies. And in the process of manufacturing and um, applying these therapies, we discovered a number of mechanisms of response and resistance. And that's really what I'm bringing with me, this expertise to Cleveland Clinic, as well as deep understanding of CAR T-cell therapies and mechanistic aspects. So it's, it's part of it is developing these therapies, and part of it is really to do the correlative and mechanistic studies to improve on the therapies that we administer to patients. All right. Excellent. So... You know, we've actually had previous podcasts, and we've talked about kind of clinical use of, mm -hmm. of CAR-T therapy. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, from, from so we've kind of covered that, and people can kind of go back and listen to those things. Mm -hmm. But maybe just as a general overview, mm -hmm. um, we have a lot of people that might be listening from different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. CAR-T therapy, what is it, and, mm -hmm. and how does it differ from some of the other things we do? So, CARs actually are chimeric antigen receptors. They are synthetic molecules that have been engineered to include an antibody uh, fragment, if you will, that binds to a service protein on target cells. In this case, for instance, in B-cell malignancies that typically express CD19, we have an antibody against CD19 included. Then we have additional moieties that stabilize it on the surface of T-cells, like CD8, and, uh, and additional uh, molecules that allow T-cells to respond, CD3, and to uh, continue uh, the memory function of the cells, like CD28 or 4-1-BB. So the typical designs include all these elements with the antibody binding fragments and, and the signaling domains. So that, that is a CAR. And the CAR therapy entails really the engineering of patient cells, typically, uh, stably introducing the CAR into the uh, T-cell's uh, genome, uh, and, and these cells are then infused and go after uh, the tumor cells. What makes this therapy different from chemotherapies is that these cells will actually sustain immune selection if they are doing the job on the tumor cells. So tumor cells, this is different from chemotherapies which are administered and washed out. CAR T cells aren't washed out. They continue, they are referred to as living drugs, and, and they have the ability to suppress even quiescent tumor cells once they reactivate, if you will. So they're very different from, from the standard therapies. And so another characteristic is that most of our therapies are treatments that are more patient-specific. Mm -hmm. And so, and I guess that comes with advantages and disadvantages. Is that, is that true? True. Absolutely. Yeah. So for these CAR T-cell therapies, uh, they're uh, patient-specific in that we use the patient's own immune cells. There's also iterations where we don't, where we take normal donor cells, but 
most CAR T-cell trials have used the patient cells, and patient T-cells aren't always up to the task and sometimes fail in, in mounting a meaningful anti-tumor response. Then we have to think about other ways of targeting the tumor. So what are, what are the biggest challenges as we move forward in terms of, you know, from an engineering, a, a CAR T, mm-hmm. what, what are the biggest barriers to, to moving forward in the field right now? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, th- there's many. If, if you still keep thinking about the B-cell malignancies, one of them is that patients' cells are just not healthy, not uh, viable enough. In those cases, we found a, a solution in using normal donor T-cells, which are then uh, engineered to not use the T-cell receptor, but rather use the CAR. So that's one. The second is is uh, identifying the best molecules that allow these cells to expand and persist in, in patients. And there's, there's a number of developments in that domain. A third, I would say, is if the therapy works really well and patient has high disease burden, we oftentimes see a toxicity that we call cytokine release syndrome. It's a uh, rapid uh, release of inflammatory cytokines that make the patient sick. That's a, a side effect that is manageable clinically. Uh, but there's uh, innovation uh, happening there where patients are, are, are treated in, in MRD, and then the side effects aren't nearly as dramatic. And there's others. Um, so the first-generation therapies, not they are called second-generation cars, they were designed in a certain way. We find that these aren't always working as well as they should, so there's challenges in, in optimizing that. And then, of course, what do we do for solid tumors? That's always the, the elephant in the room, and, and I think there's some really exciting developments also like in pancreatic cancer. So as the guy who treats solid tumors and kind of jealous of some of the responses that are seen in the hemolignancies, um, what kind of progress is being made in solid tumor? Um, I think in solid tumors, it's uh, the, the finding the right antigen. That's, that's really, uh, so in prostate cancer, we have found a good target antigen, and we do see clinical responses. Uh, even to the point that we find cytokine release syndrome, which is somewhat exciting for car therapists, because that's typically associated with liquid tumors. I haven't seen it much in solid tumors, but on more recent uh, reports from uh, from groups in California and, and from Carl Jew in the UPenn, there have been some some meaningful responses seen. So uh, I think that that's a really exciting in development. And mesothelial uh, cancers have also been, we also see progress in those domains using it. Uh, a car against uh, a service protein that we call mesothelin. So those are two areas of development, and there's a lot of more research happening to uh, better understand the tumor, to find new uh, molecules to go after with CAR therapies. And then is there maybe, with mesothelin co- connection, perhaps ovarian cancer as well? Yeah, and pancreatic cancer also overexpressed mesothelin. You mentioned before about um, looking at mechanisms of and, and things related to response and mm-hmm. resistance and you know, ultimately, all therapies we use, it ends up being like what patient is best for what therapy and mm-hmm. how do we match those up? What what kind of things have we learned about predicting response to these treatments? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think what we have learned is that the, um, the number of aspects in the therapy play a really important role, being the T-cell health itself, how the, t- the tumor cells resist uh, uh, the therapy, and uh, the tumor mic environment and homing. So four, four elements seem to be important. And to start with the latter, what we have seen on, for instance, glioblastoma targeting with a card that recognized an antigen that was only expressed on tumor cells, cells were infused peripherally, 
single infusion, and they, they did find a way to the tumor cells. So it seems that homing is working, but that's still something that we can improve. If you look at the T cells before we engineered them with a car, we have found that uh, immune features, actually features related to cell health and exhaustion and, and, and whatnot, are really important in predicting response to the therapy. When we engineered the cells with a car, those uh, features will be amplified. And in addition, we found, and others have found also, that uh, a phenomenon called exhaustion has an impact on, on the function of the cells. And also in the tumor end, we've seen tumor cells resisting by uh, modulating pathways involved in cell death. So T cells kill tumor cells. If tumor cells have modulations, then that won't happen. And the side effect of that is that chronically a tumor cell that stays alive longer will exhaust T cells because they can't do the job well. There's a number of challenges that we have seen, but we have learned to uh, identify and predict T cell health. We have learned more about the tumor cells heart resist. We have learned to predict cytokine release syndrome and we're learning a lot more about homing of these T cells. I mean, actually, we can inject CAR T cells local, regionally, like what we've been doing in glioblastoma. You think there will be an opportunity, for instance, to sort of do an immune test, a test mm. T cell function or something mm -hmm. up front before we ever pursue a, a, T, a CAR T therapy and, and make those predictions, for instance? I, I think so, Dale. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And then work that I did uh, before, we, we did develop such a predictive assay for chronic lymphocytic leukemia and where we could predict such a response. And we have since gone on to uh, to apply this predictive algorithm to multiple myeloma non-Hodgkin's lymphoma with multiple myeloma, multiple myeloma treated with a very different car and then non-Hodgkin's with the same car. And there we found that common principles also predict the response to car therapy. So you're right, it's it's thinkable that we can even predict patient response before any CAR T cells manufactured. And then, of course, we can think about what else can we then give to these patients that are, aren't able to mount a meaningful response against the tumor. And I guess the flip side of response is resistance. Mm -hmm. um, what are the exciting things that we're, we're learning about predicting resistance? Surprise finding um, what I did uh, with a graduate student, Mackenzie Collins at uh, UPenn, was that uh, even in administering uh, or using the Kimraya product that we developed, uh, testing against primary patient tumor cells in CLL, so the circulating tumor cells, they were quite resistant to second-generation cars, which, which surprised us greatly. And in CLL, we have seen about 25% or so of patients achieving a, a durable remission, and we call that a cure. We published that earlier this year in Nature. So it, it, it does work, but there's some level of resistance that we don't, don't quite understand. So we found that phenomenon, but we also found that in CLL, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a disease with an overload of quiescent uh, apoptosis, resistant tumor cells in the circulation, whereas those in the tumor mic environment were actually more actively dividing and susceptible to CAR therapy. So we've learned about how our second-generation CAR didn't quite do its job right against uh, a bulk of tumor cells, and that's leading to novel uh, designs in, in amplifying the therapeutic index. And you can, of course, think about optimizing carb, but you can also think about combination therapies uh, that, uh, that change something in the tumor itself. And so, uh, interesting point, you can, you can change the therapy itself, or you can change either the tumor or the, mm -hmm. the patient environment that the car is going to be introduced into. Mm -hmm. Of course, if there's a second-generation car, what, mm -hmm. what would the third-generation car look like? 
That's, <laughs> that's a great question. The third generation car, I, I think maybe one step back, uh, what I've also learned from these correlative uh, mechanistic studies that we don't really need persistence of CAR T cells in, in, any, in every indication. And I think non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is a really good example where uh, two different, entirely different uh, products, one made by uh, uh, Kite Pharma has a 28 Zeta car or a foreign BB Zeta signaling car. Both of them have a you know, complete response rate of about 40%, but not all patients, actually most patients, will not sustain their CAR T cells. So there's something else happening in the patient that we haven't fully characterized yet. So I, I think it's part of it is to really uh, do detailed mechanistic and correlative studies to understand this phenomenon and actually exploit that. Uh, and, and that's a phenomenon that uh, might actually until the patient's own immune cells are taking over once the bulk of the tumor is eradicated and uh, eliminating tumor cells. And Many tumors have mutated cell antigens, new antigens are called. Uh, a chair of my department, Tim Chan, is a leading expert in new antigens, and he's developing a deeper understanding of what that entails. So you can think about the combination of cars with uh, new antigen targeting therapies. Yeah, so along those lines, what, what other type of cellular therapies are you particularly excited about? I think the type of therapies that are being evaluated in other cancers that we haven't treated yet. Um, the really big challenge is in acute myeloid leukemia with uh, two of my colleagues. We are developing cars against uh, AML, which is a very difficult disease, very heterogeneous. So going back to basics, what, what's the tumor like? What does it have? How can we evaluate CAR-T development and, and responses? And I think what I'm also particularly excited about is with all this innovation taking place in, in cell engineering, there's ways in more selectively targeting a tumor, and, and those developments I think are going to be really meaningful in both AML as well as T-cell malignancies and solid tumors. So actually, uh, of course, you know Tim Chan's been on uh, the podcast as well, talking about mm -hmm. the Center for Immunotherapy and right. and immuno, uh, immuno-oncology. Mm -hmm. um, where are we at this point within that uh, within that program in terms of resources that we've we've developed to answer some of these questions? Mm -hmm. So, so uh, Tim has um, uh, developed a really robust uh, foundation, if you will, to understand uh, the therapies. So, we use checkpoint inhibition like PD one, pembrolizumab, or others, uh, and and uh, he has uh, developed a deep understanding of what the antigens possibly are for CD8 cytotoxic T cells, uh, what proportion of cells recognizes these. So the, that mechanistic understanding is, is important, identifying potential T cell clones that are most responsive to, uh, and, and deep correlates as, as well. So that part is a deeper understanding, but also the, the pipelines developed, like the, the computational immunology. And that's a particular aspect nowadays that's really important because we implement actually uh, very complicated analyses that uh, cannot well can be explored by postdocs in the lab, but that really needs uh, specialized uh, uh, analysts, if you will, computational biologists, really, to make sense of and develop um, a, a machine learning uh, algorithms. So I think that's really what um, some of the things that I see that Tim's done and uh, exploiting that in renal cell carcinoma and other diseases too, and together with Brian Gussman also. Part of the center evaluating this in skin cancers and Natalie Silver in uh, mucosal cancers. Yeah, excellent. 
more of a, a clinical question, I guess, but mm-hmm. how do we how do we make these more accessible? How do we mm-hmm. I mean these are therapies that are sometimes difficult for patients to get to and mm-hmm. um, how do we improve that? Yeah, great question. Mm-hmm. Um part of the the the, the, the cost uh, for car therapies, uh, cell therapies is hospital costs, as you know, and the therapy may cost four hundred seventy five thousand dollars like Kimrai or three hundred sixty thousand for uh, AxiCell. And, and that sounds like a lot, but the hospital cost at least doubles that, if not more. So the therapy can quickly become a million dollars. And if we can find ways to minimize the hospital stay, that will be a great advance. And while well, I know there's work being done in my lab to generate a more precise car therapy, so that's what I'm particularly excited about. We have learned about cells that actually are driving the therapeutic efficacy, so we're using that now to generate these therapies but also efforts in shortening the manufacturing process. So it takes, uh, typically, uh, when I was starting on, on these therapies at Penn, we, we cultivated the cells for nine days, and we've done studies also with colleagues there to shorten this to three days, and that actually generated a much more potent product, but of course, reduced the cost of the manufacturing too. So there's a number of elements that we are using in the manufacturing that we are, are reducing and fine-tuning, which will reduce the cost of the manufacturing, but also will make the therapy more predictable and easily easily to manage. So that, that means that um, you don't need highly specialized staff maybe in the future to administer these therapies, but um, can can be more broadly expanded. And automation, of course, is the next thing. Right. And and we, we sort of talked about the individualization and, and in many ways mm-hmm. it's probably very, very helpful. But yeah. you know, you often hear you know terms like off the shelf car T's and, yep. and and is that something that is realistic? to be beneficial in, in a meaningful way? I definitely think so. Yeah, off-the-shelf CAR T-cells, uh, such as what I mentioned before, and in lymphomas, when we see the persistence of CAR T-cells not necessary, we may actually be, be able to achieve a much higher response rate overall if we administer those. And patient with CLL, 75% or more, doesn't respond to uh, autologous CAR T-cells, and off-the-shelf has definitely a, a role there. I'm not saying that I think that these will induce durable remissions. I think there's still a need for some other therapies, but at least as a bridge to another therapy that might be very meaningful. And I think off-the-shelf CAR T-cells also have a potential big role in in diseases like T-cell malignancies and and myeloid malignancies and solid tumors too. So I haven't had the advantage of of using these therapies as a Uh solid tumor guy, but I guess the the question, especially when we start thinking about durability of the the mm-hmm. CAR-Ts and things like that, is the current thought, and you talked about, mm-hmm. you know, sort of following with other therapies, mm-hmm. um, the thought CAR-T therapy and then perhaps additional CAR-T therapy or other cellular therapies mm-hmm. or initial CAR-T, but then having to boost with another type of treatment. I, I think that off-the-shelf CAR-T for inducing remission and like in chronic lymphocytic leukemia, where we know that the T-cell compartment oftentimes is dysfunctional, some call that exhaustion, I would like to refer to as just general dis, uh, dysfunction. That's such a high tumor burden. Um, so T-cell numbers are sort of normal, even sometimes enhanced in patients, but dysfunctional. I think what off-the-shelf CAR T-cells will allow us to do is induce this remission, allow patients' immune system to recover, and, and then as a second line, we could and think about uh, autologous CAR T cells, but the study still needs to be done. We've talked about a number of different things that, that are being worked on to mm-hmm. improve these therapies. 
What do you mm-hmm. think's the biggest gap that gets us to that next plateau? I mean, this was a really big, this is a really big advance to have this as a therapy and mm-hmm. really revolutionize a lot of treatment. Mm-hmm. What's that next gap that's going to get us to the next plateau? Huh. I, I think implementing the precision manufacturing uh, process, that's a big one. For, for at least for CLL and myeloma and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I think for ALL, acute lymphoblastic leukemia, we have seen patients responding really well, uh, up to 80 or 90% of uh, patients' pediatric leukemias achieving CR at one and three months after infusion. But we have seen also a great number of relapses, uh, which are related often to loss of antigen. That's a big challenge. So that's some, one challenge that the field is, is dealing with. I think that's going in the right direction. I think AML is still something that we really need to tackle and finding out what works best in solid tumors. So there's a number of developments happening uh, across different institutions. That's great. Well, you're doing great work, and thank you. I appreciate uh, your insights in this field today. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks so much. To make a direct online referral to our Tossic Cancer Institute, complete our online cancer patient referral form by visiting clevelandclinic.org slash cancer patient referrals. You will receive confirmation once the appointment is scheduled. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash cancer advances podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our ConsultQD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.